Well, hopefully you guys at home can hear me okay. I, um, I'm so thankful to be able to be with you guys. It's just so great to be together. And um, huge thanks to the worship team. And you guys are awesome. Just super blessed by, by that. It means a lot. Um, so I'd love for you guys to follow along with the passage this week. I'm doing a change up. So you probably thought we're in Mark. Uh, I was working my way through the, the sermon this week. And I just decided I don't like the way this is going, and I'm not comfortable with what I'm going to do. And this is a message that I think actually complements it pretty well. That's something that God's been really speaking to me a lot on. Um, I thought about it and I was ready to share it kind of more as a testimony in our last time together. So I've been working on this for a while, just the Lord working and speaking to my life. And so I'm, I'm trusting that the Lord is going to work through it today for you guys. Um, and we're starting a new series now that we're in with Mark, and I'm going to talk about that later. And I think this does set this up really well. So Matthew chapter 4. So you got on your phone, you got on your book, uh, Bible uh, version, pull it up. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1. And uh, we're going to jump around a little to a couple other places, so be ready for that. Matthew chapter 4, I've got it on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and uh, read it here. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a, high, a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So the thing that is, I, I feel like this, this passage, this really gets to is this idea of our personal value. What gives us value as individuals? I mean, you can, uh, like, think about the world. What, what, what do we value in, in individual? I mean, it's like we value things like how much stuff does somebody have? How much money does somebody have? How much power and influence does somebody have? Those are things we value. Anybody Washington Nationals fans? I know Josh was a Nats fan. I mean, uh, Rachel's maybe one of the biggest Nats fans there are. I mean, you can, you know, Juan Soto, you bat over 300. You drive in, you know, 120 RBI and hit 30 home runs in a year, you're valued a lot. In fact, in a couple of years, they're going to be giving him a contract that's going to be just crazy. That's Juan Soto's baseball value. But there's a book that I read. I read it with a couple of guys in our church, Tim Stocker, Tim Donnelly as well, called um, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. And he highlights this passage, and it jumped out at me and really hit me. Because what we see here is that Satan isn't just tempting him in the things that are the most obvious. He is tempting him in three areas that we are commonly tempted on. Whether it's 
the world telling us to value yourself based on these things, or it's just the voices in your head. You wake up in the morning, and this is the value I set for myself. And there are three Ps. We judge ourselves based on our performance. We judge ourselves based on our popularity. And we judge ourselves based on our possessions. And, and the thing that really helped me here from that book that Peter Scazzaro highlighted is how each of these temptations are going after each one of those. And I think that this is valuable to us because I'm going to be talking about it later on today. But we want to, we're starting a new series we're calling Harvest on Mission. It's going to be a topical series, and the whole point is about how do we come together as a body to be faithful to God's call to uh, all the one another's and the way that we minister and build up one another, and then how as a community we reach other people and be faithful to the Great Commission, all of that idea. I think that that starts with us. And it starts with us having a right understanding of what makes me valuable. Like we have to have that right because these three Ps are constantly hammering at us to lie to us about our value. Let me just walk through them. The, let me read the first temptation again. Verse 1. He says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is why, okay, he's going out in the wilderness to be tempted. That's the purpose. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And don't, don't you just love how Scripture can be just so subtle and matter-of-fact? I mean, is he hungry? I mean, he's not very hungry. He's been 40 days and 40 nights without food. He's hungry. Like, yeah, he's very hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, one of the things that I've always had a challenge with this passage is what exactly is the sin that he's being tempted of here? And this is the part where Peter Scazzaro just really opened my eyes in, in terms of what's, what is he being tempted to? What is the sin here? And I always in the past had thought about it just in terms of, well, I guess, you know, God wanted him to fast. And so if, if he were to turn these rocks into bread, then now he's disobeyed God. Maybe that's what the temptation is. Because if you've got the power to turn stones into bread, that's not in itself a wrong thing to do, right? I mean, he can do that. He's able to do that. What's, and he's hungry. What's wrong with feeding himself that way? And even, you know, think about, remember the story of in Elijah, of with, in Elijah's life, how God took him out in the wilderness? Remember, God fed him with ravens. So ravens were like bringing him food. You know, so God has no problem with miraculously feeding people. That's not a problem here. And the other thing, too, is that I always was like a little bothered by Jesus' answer. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. You know, I mean, like, imagine, like, if, if you were shipwrecked out in the ocean and you landed on a desert island and all it is is just a sandbar, that's all it is. It doesn't take long, you know, a few days and you're hungry, a couple of weeks go by, you're very hungry. And let's say like a, a, a plane were to fly over and they dropped a care package down to you and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. And you open it up and, and, and there's a little Gideon's New Testament. And there's a little note that says, Sorry we couldn't get you the 
full Bible, but this will tide you over until we can get back for a full Bible. And I'm not trying to denigrate the scripture. Obviously, the Bible feeds our souls. But if you don't eat outside of a miracle, you die, right? That, that is reality. And reading the Bible outside of a miracle does not feed your body. So for him to say, answer, like, what exactly is the temptation here? And, th- and that's the part that I was like, what? How does this work? What is going on here? What is the last words? Here's the key. What are the last words that the father said to the son? The very last words that the father said to the son, just right back to the very last verse in chapter 3. Scroll to chapter 3. Turn the page back to chapter 3. Look at 17. It says, he's just been baptized. A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The temptation isn't to eat. Read the temptation again, back to verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. The temptation isn't about food. The temptation is to prove himself. Up to this point, Jesus has done nothing. He has done nothing yet. He has not done anything at all. And Satan is coming to him and saying, if you're the son of God, prove it. Perform. I mean, I think if I had Jesus' abilities and his powers, then I would be using them quite a bit. You know, I mean, it's like we just had the NFL draft a couple of nights ago, and I wasn't following really closely, but I was just paying attention to, you know, who the Washington God and my other teams, who their players got. And you're just thinking about, man, I'm reading about some of these players. It's like, well, I could, if I had Jesus' ability, I could, I'd be like the number one guy in the draft, right? I mean, it's like, I, I so want to perform. I want to do awesome things. But Jesus says he doesn't base his value on what he does. He bases the value on what the Father says to him. So the first point, the very first point, my value is based on God's love for me, not my performance. God's love for me, not my performance. The Father said to him, my beloved son. Now here's the question that you might be asking yourself like okay so the father of course loves jesus like that's easy for us to get and understand the perfect son of god of course the father loves him does that apply to me flip over to john 17 the latter part of what um joshua started off the service with this is part of the high priestly prayer uh this is John chapter 13 all the way through 17 is Jesus just giving an extended lecture, like his last thoughts to his apostles. And all of chapter 17 is a prayer. We've talked about this before. Jesus starts off by praying for his apostles, for his disciples, the guys that are right there. And then starting in verse 20, he begins to pray for us. Because look at what it says. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, us. Like some, they told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody all the way to somebody told me and I believed it. So this is a prayer now for us. He says that they will be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. His prayer is for unity. And then look at what he says, and I'm going to skip down to verse 23, and I've got it on the screen if you don't have it. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. He wants us to be unified. And here's the reasons. So that the world will know that you sent me. In other words, this oneness in our relationships is an apologetic proof to the world that Jesus came from the Father. And then there's a second reason. So the world will know that you sent me, and then second, and love them as you loved me. I mean, let, let that sink into you through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, when he, we believe that he died for us and we say, yes, you're my savior. The father loves us in exactly the same way that he loves the son. So he then says to us, my beloved child, my beloved daughter, your value is not based on what you do. Your value is based on the fact that your Heavenly Father loves you totally and utterly, completely. And, and again, let's, let's be reminded that Jesus hadn't done anything to this point. God loved him. Your performance has nothing to do with your ultimate real value. You know, and this is so much of, of, of our culture and our life. You know, when kids meet each other on a playground for the first time, they're, they're sizing up each other's value by asking questions like, how old are you? You know, and what grade are you in? And that's all about pecking order in kid world. You know, we, when we meet somebody new, a, a normal good question for getting to know somebody is, what do you do? Right? And, and that's, that's fine. That's a good question when you're trying to get to know somebody. But how often have you ever experienced this in the past where you're like, I wish I had something better to say that would be impressive to this person, that they would like to hear? I mean, it's, it's like we value our performance. We want to be valued based on what we've done and all that we've accomplished. And we chase after that. I remember one of my favorite Christian artist is Andrew Peterson. Anybody else Andrew Peterson fans? Um, he's really good. The lyrics are just probably the strongest part of what he does. And he's been going for a long time. I think like 25 plus years. He's not like upper echelon of, of Christian artists, but he's pretty well known. He's toured and traveled all over the world. He does it for a living, right? And I remember hearing him on a podcast, I think it was about a year ago. And he said about how sometimes, you know, he's in a city playing a, a concert like on a Saturday night and and uh, like a local church will invite him to do a special music at their service. And I don't know if you guys have ever been to a church where there's like some churches where just like culturally they're not super uh, exuberant and it's like a no clap church, right? So somebody will do a special performance and it's just like a head nod, you know, like a, and then other churches are like, you know, it's like a concert, they're, they're clapping and cheering. It's just cultural. There's, there's, there's not a big deal. 
But he was talking about how, okay, he's like, I've been doing this song for decades. I know people love it because they've been buying my albums. I know that they want me to do this song because they asked me to do this song. And then, very last note, and then there's that moment of silence, and I don't realize or expect that there's no, not going to be an audible response, he said. And he said, the very first thing that pops into my mind, he said, is, was that, did I do all right? Like, they didn't like it. And, and, and it's just, when you are somebody that is creating and putting yourself out there, it's, you need the confidence of knowing that you're loved. You know, think about, like, little kids when they're playing sports and, you know, seeing your little kid run around out in the field. It's like, it doesn't really matter if they're not that great. It's just so awesome as a parent to see your kid out there running around. It's like, that's my kid. And how much confidence the kids get when they know that mom and dad is just like, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. That's God. That's God for us. He's saying, I love you. I love you completely. I love it. And I value you, not because of anything you've done. That's the kind of love that God has for us. But here's the question. Do you believe it? That's, that's really the question. Do I believe that? Do you believe that your value is based on the love of God or do you believe your value is based on your resume, the things you've done, the things you've achieved, or maybe failed to achieve, wish you could have achieved, so I don't have any value? That is not at all true. My value is based on God's love for me, not my performance. Number two, my value is based on what God says of me, not popularity. Not popularity. Verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Remember we were looking at the temple a little bit earlier in Mark. It's a huge, I mean, the amazing building. So for him to be put up on the temple, the temple with all that massive courtyard around it, remember they got a huge marketplace that's there? There'd be tons of people would see him up there. He said, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This would be a perfect way for him to make a splash. It's like, Let's, let's get a lot of attention here. Let's get everybody talking. They're going to see, whoa, who's that person up there? And then the crowd would gasp when he jumps off. And then, whoa, those angels just appear out of nowhere and catch him and land him there. It's like, talk about a way to get everybody's attention. This is the way you can show yourself to be the son of God. We are constantly tempted to base our value on what other people think about us. We, I mean, this is the basis of a lot of social media, right? And I've said this before, but I'll say it again, that consciously we understand and know that the only thing that we're going to see on Instagram and on Facebook is everybody else's highlights, right? I mean, that's, it's like their best thought. 
um, the best photos, the best part of the vacation. I mean, that's like, and then we look at their best and then compare it to our everyday. And I mean, there's just so many things. I mean, you guys know all that stuff better than me. I mean, it's like, there's all this draw that comes from, did somebody like it? Did they, how did they respond? It's just a constant temptation to find my value on what other people think about me. Instead of basing my value on what others think, I need to base my value on what God thinks of me. And what did, what did God say to the son? Back in chapter 3, he says, I am well pleased. I am well pleased. God is, you're popular with God, Christian. You are well, he is well pleased with you. That is such a huge encouragement. That also is true of you. Look at Colossians 3.3. I've got it on the screen. Colossians 3.3. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is hidden in Christ with him. So when the Father says, I am well pleased with Jesus, he is well pleased with me. And we've looked at this verse a ton of times, Zephaniah 3.17, this is the effect. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. You know, it's just like he, he you guys know how it is, it's like when you're so happy, it's just like you start singing, right? I mean, that's so common for us. That's God. He is so pleased with you that he is singing. He's like, I love it. I love it. Yes. I'm not going to try to sing and imitate God by singing. But the question is, do we believe it? That, that's the question. Do we believe that our value is based on what God says of you? And what he thinks of you, or is it based on popularity? That's, that's the question. Do we believe it? So my value is not based on my performance. My value is not based on my popularity. Thirdly, my value is based on belonging to God, not my possessions. Belonging to God, not my possessions. Look at the verses 8 through 11. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We measure our value based on our possessions. And this is kind of a hard one because... An accountant could come look at all of your life and to the penny tell you your value monetarily, right? And, but we, we, we value ourselves based on the car we drive, the dream vacation that we want, the house we live in. All those things determine value so often in our culture. As we know, and we've seen this in other parts of Scripture, you can't value possessions and really value what God says. And Jesus responds by saying, you will worship the Lord your God and Him only will you serve. A couple pages later, He says, 
you either will worship one or worship the other. You cannot serve money and serve God. There's a huge warning that comes with it. Later on in Matthew, Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world, but he forfeits his soul? But guys, my value is not based on what I possess, but on who possesses me. God says to the son, you are my son. Christian, God says to you, you're my child. You belong to me. Your value is not based on your possessions. We are adopted as his sons and daughters. He has redeemed us as servants in his household. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Your value is not based on your possessions. It's on who possesses you. God says, you are mine. You are mine. Um, you know, speaking of accountants and net worth, um, you know how you can calculate the, the value of a publicly trade, traded company? You know, you, what they do is you, you just go and see what's the market price for that company. You look at the current market price for that company, and then you take that number, whatever it's trading at, and you multiply it by the total number of shares of that company, and there's the value, the monetary value of that company based on the market. Have you guys ever been to a restaurant, you know, where the menu says market price? Usually that's like a reason to panic for me. It's like market price. What does that mean? That means that the lobster is going to be whatever the market is charging for lobster that day is what you're going to pay, or plus a little markup, I'm sure, for lobster. The market price. What is your market price? If, if, what is the value of the possession of you to God, your chi his child? What is your market value? Where, what market do you go to to check the price on you? 1 Corinthians 6 says that you were bought with a price. There, there, there is a, a tag that hangs off your soul, that has the price, and it is the Son of God. He, he died for you. That's the price that was paid last for your life. That is a phenomenal value. Again, the question is, do we believe it? That, I mean, that's, I think, the question. Do I believe that my value is based on what God, God's love, or is it based on my performance? Is it based on what God says of me or what other people say about me? Is my value based on what I possess, or is my value based on God's possession of me as his child? We need to be reminded of this over and over and over and over, guys. I think we wake up in the morning hearing voices that are telling us our value. And we spend our days hearing voices, maybe it's from other places, that are telling us our value. And I, I think it's just a question of, are we going to believe that or are we going to believe what God says about us? Because the hard thing about this is that sometimes you actually can be pretty good at some of these things, right? Some of us really perform great. 
Some of us are really popular. Some of us have a lot of possessions. You can really get a false sense of security and feeling good about that. Obviously, that runs out. There's always a desire for more. I mean, that's, but it gets you either way, whether you feel strong in it or you feel weak in it. It is not your real value. And I believe that we have got to find our value in what God says about us. He says, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And I think that it's amazing that Jesus starts there with those three massive temptations of performance, popularity, and possessions. And then the ministry starts from there. So we're thinking about, and I've been sharing this with some of you, some of you guys are aware with the with the, the series that we're going to start into with Harvest on Mission. We want to work with God and we want to, we want to be a part of what He's doing in our, in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplace and all those places. But I think we've got to be right with who we are before we can really start to be effective with the people around us, to introduce them and to remind them of the Heavenly Father and the love that, they, that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have for us, His children. Do you believe it? I, I think it's an important question. Do you believe that your value is based on your performance, possessions, or popularity? Is that why you're valuable or not valuable? Or is your value based on what the Father says of you? I've got to be rooted in that. And I just love Ephesians 3 and the prayer that, that, that um, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And, and if you guys would just maybe just bow your heads, and I want to read this prayer to you guys. In Ephesians 3, his prayer is that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power by his Spirit in your inner being. So he's, he's asking for power. He wants strength. Okay, so but what do we need this power and strength for? He goes on. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Brothers and sisters, the Father wants you to be rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. Not rooted in grounded in performance, popularity, or possessions. Rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. I need strength for that. He says, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's his prayer. Let me, let me pray. Father, Heavenly Father, fill us with your fullness, Jesus. Dwell in our hearts through faith. Jesus, we believe that our value is not based on our performance. It is based on your love for us. Our value is not based on our popularity. It is based on what you say about us. You are well pleased. 
Our value is not based on how much we possess. It is based on that we are possessed by you. We are your children. Lord, fill us with the fullness of God. Lord, and help us as Paul prayed to know and experience your love in a way that goes beyond understanding. We want to experience it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.